Holly G with the Golf Insiders with one of uh, our favorite golf insiders, Bob Herrick from ESPN, joining the podcast today. Bob, it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken, and um, it seems extremely important given what's going on right now um, that we talk for a moment about, you know, just what's going on in the wake of the death of George Floyd, and in particular, this past week, a number of the players speaking out, PGA Tour players, LPGA Tour players speaking out against racism and injustice, and wanted to just start and get some comments uh, from you. We're, you know, I'm a, I'm a white female radio host, you a white uh, guy reporting on golf, but it's important, and I think um, really, really important that we all join this conversation right now. Yeah, Holly, it's kind of sad that we're having to do it, isn't it? At this point in time, after all these years and 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 efforts to, um, you know, to to be racially diverse and to and to and to accept all, and 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 the fact that we're having these conversations still is sad. Um, I was really glad to see a number of the PGA Tour players, Tiger included, um, you know, step up and comment on this. Golf has typically been behind uh, on this issue uh, of inclusion. Uh, it still struggles with it at, at places and at times, and it's made strides. It has tried. Um, <clears throat> we've seen many things over the last several years uh, of trying to include women and minorities and grow the game through other aspects, but obviously it still has a long way to go. And, and this sort of is well beyond the sport of golf. It's just, um, it's human interaction. It's, it's, it's living amongst people that look different, talk different, and, and do things differently than we do. And I was glad to see tour players step up. This is, that was a horrific incident. Um, and I'm glad that uh, some guys have, have stepped out because obviously they were going to be subject to criticism. Unfortunately, that's the way that's the world we live in, and in some cases it might have just been easier to say nothing. Uh, but uh, especially some of these younger guys have now stepped up and said something, and I and hopefully uh, you know we're, we're not afraid to have this conversation going forward and, and make attempts to improve things. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, the younger guys, Max Homa. Uh, tweeted, I'm a 29-year-old white dude who has played golf his entire life and knows nearly nothing about what it feels like to be oppressed, discriminated against, or unsafe. So I spoke on what I do know, and that's being a nice and respectful person, and he titled his uh, video, Be Kind. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It's, it? it's really just that easy, and I think many of us share the sentiment that there's obviously no way we can understand um you know and this latest incident in minneapolis highlighted what seems to happen time and time again to african-american males who are singled out um you know uh and and unfairly accused or or put in positions of danger and you know obviously you can't say this without pointing out that I think we're talking about a few instances that make everything look bad, right? I mean, clearly there are 
excellent police officers, and we respectfully do, and it's incredible what they do and how hard that job is. And so it's always this balance. You can't paint a, a you know, with a broad brush here. Uh, but there are just too many incidents that have occurred like this that make you wonder what's going on and why does this keep happening? Well, golf has certainly shifted in the last, what, 10, 20 years, of course, beginning with, with Tiger and his dominance on the tour. We've become a global sport. Players from all cultures now participating. Uh, what, what do you think needs to happen next for our game in the wake of this? Well, I, I, I think, um, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're putting pressure on, on all aspects of the game to be inclusive. You know, and uh, I know there are private clubs, and they're allowed to do what they want. Uh, it's that's that's the system that we have. Private clubs are by their nature private, but um, you know, I think they would be wise to be as inclusive as possible. And you know, we need we need at grassroots levels um, to continue the push to develop minority players, not just for the pro levels, but just to get into golf. You know, we want to expand the game beyond just a, a small segment of the population. And, you know, Tiger has had a big impact on that, but I think he, he would be the first to admit that, that, he would, that he's disappointed that his rise did not translate to more African-American and minority interest in the game. Certainly there are avenues, but obviously... If, if you don't come from the right economic background, and this could be any race, it's very, very hard to get anywhere in golf. And, you know, it, the, the way our system is set up is it's, it's really geared more towards those who have the means. You know, it's expensive to buy clubs. It's expensive to take lessons. It's certainly expensive if you're trying to get into the game and excel like at the American Junior Golf Association level. You know, you're traveling, you're entering tournaments. And, you know, we don't have a, uh, in the U.S., we do not have like a, uh, you know, a national body to develop golfers, you know, like they do in other, in other countries, like they do with other sports in other countries. You know, they'll have a, they'll have a state-run organization that's solely meant to develop golfers, uh, you know, in, in, in hopes of preparing them for, you know, national competition or the Olympics or what have you. Uh, obviously, we have plenty of good golfers in the U.S., and we probably don't see the need to do that. Uh, but yet, how great would it be to have funding for, for, for those who are aspiring to, to, to take the game to another level? And it, it just seems like well, there's a, 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 a disconnect there. And uh, it's made it harder. It's just simply made it harder. You work for the largest sports network in the world. Um, interesting uh, how the network has covered this and I'm just curious in general you know what your feeling is of the role of athletes in these social issues it becomes difficult for a lot of them we've seen it for Tiger because you know you say something he says something and there are plenty that say it's not enough and it's a difficult you know place to be but what are, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, listen, I, I understand the segment of people that want to say, I come to sports for, for, to get away from this sort of thing. 
you know, or to get away from politics or to get away from the negativity in the world. And, you know, it's a release for me. I view it as entertainment. I don't want to hear about these things. And I get that. But when it comes to this issue of inclusion and discrimination, and especially in, you know, in the big team sports like, like, uh, like basketball and football, where, you know, a predominance of the athletes are African-American, um, to ignore this would just be, you know, it's, I just I feel it's, you know, it's, it's irresponsible. Now, the, they, the, the athletes can relate to this. They've, some of them, many of them have been through it personally. How many stories have we heard here recently now in the last few days of, of athletes uh, that, that talk about being singled out? Uh, that story about James Blake, the former tennis player, that happened in 2015 when he was mistaken for someone that was involved in a credit card fraud issue. Now, credit card fraud is not a crime of violence, and yet he was tackled and beaten and, you know, feared for his life. He was mistaken. They, they mistook his identity. I mean, you know, how many times does that happen? And this is, this is happening... Uh, you know, throughout the country a lot. And when these athletes speak about it, of course it's going to be covered. Um, you know, it is It is a, uh, you know, and look at, we're just seeing what's happened now with his own teammates with Drew Brees, with the New Orleans Saints, you know, who spoke out uh, and, and basically, you know, he, he, I'm sure people heard what he said. He, he doesn't agree with what Colin Kaepernick did, um, you know, kneeling. Uh, for the national anthem, of course, there are many who believe that that doing so was not disrespecting our flag or disrespecting servicemen in any way. It was a peaceful way to call attention to to this very problem that we're talking about today. And so, a lot of his own teammates on the Saints have called Breeze out for that. It shows you how volatile the issue is, and to ignore it would be would be really poor form, I think. And and especially now, you know, of course, in this time where no games are going on, an issue like this is going to be front and center. And perhaps that is good timing that may be coming out of all this, that all we can do is listen and have these conversations. And hopefully, as his six-year-old daughter said it, I don't know if you heard it, but George Floyd's six-year-old daughter said, my daddy changed the world. And we can only hope that truly we are seeing, you know, the whole country waking up. Absolutely. I mean, I would have thought these turning points would have occurred much earlier than this. You know, you would have thought that we'd have passed that point, but clearly we haven't. And, um, you know, this is just another sad reminder, and hopefully now it does spur us. Uh, and, you know, it needs to just more be more than talk. It needs to be actions, you know, and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully it is sustained uh, because um, clearly, you know, there is, a, there is a big disgust with what went on. And I think there's more of an understanding now of, of why there has been the, the type of protesting that we've seen on this issue. Not the rioting, obviously. 
that's completely different. It pulls the attention away from what the protests are about. But the actual pro- peaceful protests, they do have meaning. And, uh, and like you said, hopefully people are listening and, and taking it all in. Well, it's hard to believe we have been on hiatus for almost 12 weeks. Wow, three months since the players, yeah. Bob. And next week we will have live golf as finally the players will be teeing it up at Colonial. Um, one of the strongest fields they've, they've had, not surprising. What, uh, what are you anticipating? What are you, you know, looking to see next week? Well, first of all, from the standpoint of, of moving forward in the COVID-19 era, I'm, you know, my I, I, hopes, great hopes, fingers crossed, prayers, that, that everything works out. You know, that, that we don't have any issues, that we don't have anybody testing positive. Um, the tour has gone to great lengths to try to make this work. I commend them for their efforts on this. There's no perfect system, and but they have worked hard to improve it. I mean, they just announced that they've contracted with a company that's going to administer these COVID-19 tests on site or in the towns where the tour is. And, you know, when they first announced this, they said the results wouldn't be available for 24 to 48 hours. Now it's two to four hours. I mean, let's, let's, that, that is absolutely the way forward. Within that day, you can know if you are positive or negative. If you're negative and do the right things, why can't we have these competitions amongst these players, daddies, officials, and feel safe? And so I think that's a huge step forward. And I think as we go on, Testing is going to get better. It's going to become more available. They'll be able to test more people. And hopefully there comes a day not far down the road where where they're able to let some spectators in. So as far as that, that's my first thing. I mean, secondly, I think these guys are itching to get out there. They've been working on their games the last few weeks. You know, golf has opened back up and and everywhere now. Um, And as we always see in golf, there's somebody who's hot. And I would not be surprised if somebody comes out at Colonial next week and shoots 62, 63. You know, yeah, there might be some guys who are rusty, but when you've got 144 of the best, I, I, I don't doubt at all that there'll be a handful of guys that come out firing and, and you're going to see some really good scores. And I think you're going to see some really high TV ratings as well for uh, an event like the Colonial. This is, this is a great opportunity for golf. You know, there's not much else going on. I know NASCAR is back, um, but, you know, NASCAR is usually one day. Uh, baseball, hockey, the NHL are not coming back for at least a month. And, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe if baseball gets its act together, it'll be around 4th of July. Well, the, the tour is going to have three or four events by then. It's a great opportunity. And hopefully, and that's why it's important they get it right with all the testing and following the protocols and making sure it's safe. But uh, hopefully, you know, there's obviously a lot of big-name players competing. Um, it would be nice if a few of them stepped up to create even more of a buzz and uh, if people get behind it and follow it and, uh, and, and get interested and, and maybe it maybe drags a few more people along who might not have otherwise been watching at a time when all the other things were normally happening. 
So, uh, I mean, you, right now we've been throws of, like, the NBA Finals. So we'd be right in, on the cusp of that. The NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs, baseball would obviously be in full gear. None of that's happening. So golf has an opportunity, and, and hopefully it takes advantage. Yes, our inner sports clock is definitely <laughs> been turned upside down, that's for sure. Yep. A big announcement on Tuesday was that um, there is a new event, as it was hinted, that's going to take the place of the John Deere July 9th through 12th. Share with our listeners about that. Yeah, and the tour scrambled big time, and I have a sense that, you know, they've been working on this for a few weeks, as it appeared that John Deere was not going to take place. And, you know, they found a sponsor, Workday. They're going to play at Muirfield Village the week before the memorial. That's unusual. You know, event, back-to-back events on the same at the same course. But given the circumstances, I think it's a perfect solution. I, I you know, I, I think that it's... It, if they could have, it would have been wise to do that more than once. Keep people in the same place, you know, it just it makes it a little bit easier. It takes away some of the risks. But, uh, you know, by, by that point, they're going to have two events in a row. Um, and, they've you know, the, the, the first event is a, is a full field, 156 players. Are, you know, they're, given, uh, they're given plenty of playing opportunities. That allows the Memorial to go back to its invitational field of 120. Uh, the Colonial is supposed to be 120, but they increased it to 144, trying to give these guys as many as many cracks as possible. So um, I think it's great. I think it's a great move, especially since Memorial is now sort of next up to see if they can have spectators. And so to have an event the week prior without, you know, gives them an opportunity to have a bit of a dry run with some things. You know, to, to, to work through some issues, uh, to, to uh, you know, kind of have a, a rehearsal, if you would, as to how the next week could operate with spectators. And, you know, like we were just talking about, if you're able to have some form of testing, you know, maybe you can let in five 8,000 people. You know? I, you know, obviously these things are very, very complicated and it's expensive, but, but I think that's the way forward. And, uh, if nothing else, you know, they could, they're, they're probably not going to have any kind of grandstand and kind of seating. But if you did temperature checks and you you were very, very diligent in getting the word out to people, you know, th- there's there's a way that maybe they can have some people there. And I think, then that gives us hope for things down the road, having spectators. Uh, you know, we, we need to get over the fear. You know, there's going to be that fear, and, and we need to see that these things can work. So, you know, there's a lot going on in golf now coming up. It's going to be four, uh, five events without spectators. Then hopefully still there's that chance for spectators at the Memorial. And if they could pull that off, that would, I think that would be a boon to all of sports. It could, it could be a roadmap for how, how it could work. Couldn't agree more. He's the top of the leaderboard when it comes to golf journalism. Bob Herrig, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, for this very special conversation today. Appreciate it. Thank you.